We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 81, When Medium Cards Go Bad. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers with me again this week. How's your teeth? I don't know. I haven't seen them in a few days. <laughs> this episode's going up a little bit late because uh, Travis had uh, some minor dental surgery performed, I would say, and um, he was able to speak for the last couple of days, basically. So we're doing this a little late. We're going to adjust our schedule. We might skip this week coming up, uh, but you'll be back on a regular schedule starting, I would say, at least the week after from now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how are you otherwise, though? I'm okay. I, I was a bit ambitious about how quickly I was going to recover. Like, I was sure, you know, I'll, I'll have the surgery. I'll be streaming the next day. No problem. You know, turns out I did a mini stream today of about two hours, and it kind of kicked my butt. So I, I I think I'm on the way to recovery, but not quite there. Uh, the dentist said Monday, we're recording this Sunday evening, that Monday I should be able to resume my normal stuff. Uh, but I, I was in no shape to stream Thursday or Friday. And it, it sucked. I actually missed it. Like, I, I really enjoy what I do, and I, I missed having the opportunity to do that. So I'm looking forward to getting back and drafting some M19 on Arena tomorrow. Yeah, M19's there for a couple of weeks now, so you get to draft the newest set, and uh, should be good for your stream anyway. Uh, people are really enjoying, I think, the variety of formats, but I think it'd be nice to see the uh, the M19 come back for a couple of weeks. I, however, am most looking forward to this week is uh, Chaos Draft starts on the 22nd on Magic Online. Uh, for those that don't know, Chaos Draft is a an eight-person draft in which uh, you get random boosters, essentially. And in Magic Online, it is a true Chaos Draft in which everybody gets three different boosters. There are no duplicate boosters, as far as I understand. So it is going to be quite interesting to see. I've never done a Chaos Draft. The closest thing to a Chaos Draft I've done is... Um, a conspiracy draft with the one that had the the card that you could get another booster from outside the game and bring it in and draft it um and that's the closest thing i've ever done we had three of those guys open in one conspiracy draft and it was quite neat to lo- open up packs of cards that i would never seen before but i had no idea what i was doing so i look forward to being terrible at chaos draft but it can't be any worse than a cube for me it, it's a lot of fun. I've done chaos drafts uh, randomly as a sanctioned event, as a side event at a GP. I've also done it with friends. And um, we've done something that was a, not quite a chaos draft, but like standard chaos draft, I suppose, because it's just boosters we had that were available. All of them were a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm actually going to come back to Magic Online. Um, I don't know about all day, but at least for a portion of the days during this event, because I'm very excited about this. This was on my Christmas wish list when we did our Christmas wish list episode. This is something I actively wanted. I wonder if they listened to us. I'm sure that's where they got the idea. I mean, we can take credit for it. They're not going to prove us wrong, right? We totally did this, Dave. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. This was us. This is 100% us. And not this coming week, but the week after is something I am very much... This is the the best thing I've seen on Magic Online this summer. 
cons of Tarkir flashback draft. Cons is easily, I think, my favorite draft format uh, that I've ever done, and that was starting in Return to Ravnica all the way up until now. And um, the last time it came around was, I want to say, about a year ago, maybe about a year and a half ago. Maybe, I, maybe I've got my, my timelines wrong here, which is funny because of Cons of Tarkir timelines. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, but I did at least three or four of them in the very limited time that I could play Magic, and it was a ton of fun. So um, I wasn't very good at them when I came back to them. I think I did a bunch of two ones. But um, we did a primer episode early in our podcast careers on Cons of Tarkir when it was that flashback. So you can go back and find that. I don't remember what the episode was called, but it was very early in our in our podcast days. Maybe episode 20-ish, 25-ish maybe, I want to say. Something so, like that. Uh, yeah, go back and check that out if you're interested in doing the the cons. We probably won't touch on it next week, um, given that we are already have an episode and there's really not much else you can say about it except just go do it. It'll be fun. Yeah, I, I, I'll take some time to go do cons. This wasn't my favorite format ever, um, but it's in my top five list. Like it, it was a lot of fun. I think uh, cons had some of the best gameplay you'll get in any format ever. Whereas the drafting, I felt like, got stale after about draft number 20. But it didn't matter. The gameplay was so good it was worth it. I think that's probably why I enjoy it so much as a flashback draft. Is because I've forgotten enough about it to enjoy the draft experience again. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm not going to draft it to the point where the drafting gets stale. But the gameplay, I will remember that fondly forever. The, the morph shell game. The, you know, which morph do I trade off for which morph game. The um, remembering which morphs flip. Um, some of the archetypes were a lot of fun to play. I really liked Raid. Um, you know, there was a lot of neat mechanics. It was just a lot of very fun cards to play and quite well balanced, I would say, for the most part. It was before Fate Reforged with some of the, um, you know, Citadel Siege type cards and things like that came out. So it was it was in a really good spot along the timeline of Magic's history, I would say. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. I can brag about it, or not brag about it, you know, wax poetic about it for a year if I wanted to here, but I'm not going to let's uh let's carry on with the topic of the day shall we certainly certainly so what i wanted to talk about today was we titled it when medium cards go bad and i'm going to take you through some medium cards for us to talk about and, and kind of what generated this for me is i wanted to pass on some limited knowledge i know we've got a lot of new people that are coming to draft because of arena or just because magic's awesome and they're they're kind of getting into that draft phase and i wanted to give you a little bit of a history lesson and then maybe help you evaluate cards as you're going through and picking what to put in your deck. We've talked a lot in previous episodes about a flattening power level in Magic, and that's something that's intentionally happened in Magic sets over, I would say, the, the past five years or so. Would you agree with that, Dave? Yeah, it was like that New World Order concept that was a few years back, and that's basically when it, maybe it started before that, but it really became popular, I would say, at least since I started playing. Yeah, and a lot of people who've started playing recently may not even be aware of what this is, but I think it's actually a very good thing in in like the context of magic over time. I, I wanted to read two cards to you, Dave, from the set that I first drafted and kind of see what you think of these cards. Uh, Binding Agony is one in a black for an enchantment aura enchant creature. Whenever enchanted creature is dealt damage, Binding Agony deals that much damage to that creature's controller basically pacifism except i mean <laughs> functionally <laughs> yeah 
let's let's walk through that. Would you ever put this in a deck? Not today. Yeah, you you wouldn't then either. Okay. Um, another one. So, so let's make sure we understand this. It doesn't stop it from attacking. It doesn't stop it from blocking. It just means whenever the creature takes damage, the controller takes damage. There was a card recently that did that too. Something very similar to that, wasn't there? There was. I believe it had additional text. Uh, but I, I I could be wrong. I, I remember people trying to combo something like this with Boros Reckoners to kill their opponents. Uh, let's talk about Blind Fury. Now this one's better because it's an instant. Two red red, four mana instant. All creatures lose trample until end of turn. If a creature would deal combat damage to a creature this turn, it deals double damage to that creature instead. <laughs> what kind of card is that? Yeah, I, I can keep going. Uh, there was another one in Tempest. I don't remember the name of it, but it was one in red. At the beginning of each player's turn upkeep, it deals damage to that player equal to the number of artifacts they control. And it was not an artifact-heavy set. Like, there was no reason for you to have artifacts in your deck. There used to be cards in old magic sets that R&D would refer to as skill testers. And part of the fun of drafting for somebody that was drafting 20 years ago was to see cards like that, know that they weren't good and not take them. But there were so many of them in there that what that meant was is if me and Dave sit down and Dave knows the format backwards and forwards and I don't, Dave walks away with a playable deck and I walk away with just a pile of garbage. And I'm not I'm not really even playing magic with that deck. I'm just going to be frustrated and irritated and feel stupid. And this whole New World or Order idea was, let's not make the difference between somebody who knows how to draft the set and someone who doesn't a playable deck versus a, just a pile of garbage. Let's instead make it the quality of the deck. So right now, someone who understands the basics of I should pick two colors and take the strong cards can sit down at a draft and walk away with a playable deck. You can absolutely fire up Arena right now, get into an M19 draft, pick a good rare out of your first pack, and keep picking cards of that color and make a deck. And you're you're not going to be playing cards that are unplayable in in the same way that those cards that we read earlier are, right? You're going to be playing some that, you know, are certainly not on the Blind Fury and Blinding Agony uh, area here, but you're going to be playing some that are like conditional cards, is I think the way that I would phrase them. Does that sound fair, Dave? Yeah, so what it used to be is you'd draft a bunch of A's and B's and a bunch of F's. That Those were your options. These days, it's more like everything is closer to average, and... You know, you might be picking the difference between a C plus and a C minus, but they're both still, quote unquote, you know, playable cards, right? You you can stack a bunch of creatures, two drops and three drops in your deck, and you can turn things sideways, and maybe you can steal a, a game or two here and there. Um, you're not just going to be stone dead against somebody that, you know, has has the nut deck. You still have a chance to win against a lot of these decks. Yeah, I, I should mention too, I picked two ter terrible cards from this set. There was also a Fireball and an Incinerate, uh, basically a Lightning Strike with Upside, both in this set at Common. So like, that's what I meant by the power level had been flattened. It's not that the set was low power level. It was that there were very high level power cards and very low level ones. And you just, you don't see that anymore. So 
I'm wanting to temper that some because while I'm drafting, I may have somebody say, what do you think about card X? And in, in a two second moment, you know, I may say that card's virtually unplayable. And that, that doesn't mean you can't put it in your deck and it's terrible for you to do it. Usually when I say that, what I actually mean is, you know, we, we've got to make a pick in the draft. It's third pick. This card is nowhere near contention for me. We're not even looking at this. It's not a signal. If it ends up in a deck, it's not the end of the world. I'm going to read you through a, a set of cards as we go through this. And it, except for one of them, I have played all of these cards. So like, I and I can talk to you about why and when and how, and that it's not the end of the world if these end up in your deck. Like it 20, you know, 20 years ago, if we're sitting down to draft Mirage, it would be the end of the world if you were playing some of those cards we read. But I, I want to go a little bit deeper on why I would call these cards bad and what they actually are, which is a medium card, not a bad card. And I think just diving into some of the examples may really help us understand those. But it, you've got to frame it in that context of really nothing is unplayable these days. Yeah, I think I gave you a hard time on your stream last week. And I do apologize for that. I was a little feisty that day um, about the term unplayable. I think you called the, un, the Slitherblade draft or deck unplayable and I defended Slitherblade. I don't think it's very playable. But I think the term unplayable, you know, magic players have this hyperbole problem. And I think the people that figured out that they liked playing Slitherblade and could build a Slitherblade deck could play it. And when you say unplayable, you mean more like you're putting yourself behind already on the curve by choosing to draft this deck. You are setting your win percentage back by making this decision to do that. But it's very rare that you end up with a deck that can't win a game. Right, And just this the same as it's very rare that you can end up with a card that is strictly unplayable in draft. And when somebody calls a common or an uncommon unplayable, I think that's very, very rare. And I think the term gets thrown around way too much. Um, there's a lot of rares and, and mythic rares that are unplayable. Um, I'm thinking of the one mana cycle in M19, right? Where um, there's a black one that exiles target creature. No, what is it? It's a colorless creature, isn't it? It's, yes, it's a colorless creature, and you gain life, or your opponent gains life to that, or whatever. And then there's a uh, a white one, right? There's the exile target permanent with mana cost of one or something like that. Is Those, those are M19 cards. It's funny, because I can't even think of them, because they just don't ever come up in draft, because they're pretty much literally unplayable in draft. There's not enough targets for them. They just don't do anything. But, you know, cards like... Um, you know, Knight of the Tusk, right? A six mana, three, seven Vigilance. When somebody says it's unplayable, it means that it doesn't go in 99% of decks. And there's usually something better than it in your pile in your sideboard. But sometimes you just end up where you have to play that card. Or sometimes you end up with a deck where that card is medium. Um, and it's very rare to come across a strictly unplayable card. Yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely with you there. And th that conversation was what actually led me to wanting to do this episode so we could kind of deep dive on there. Because you're right, Slitherblade is certainly playable in Triple M and Cat Draft. Um, now, I I have to look it up. I have to look it up. Are you looking up your win rate? Yeah. Okay. 70%. So I, I, I can tell you that out of... 
150 games in Triple M and Cat, never drafting Slitherblade. I ended up at 73.2, uh, which is the, the best I've had so far. Um, I don't like the Slitherblade deck, and I'm never going to draft it. And if you don't know what the Slitherblade deck is, it, it's kind of okay. It was just a hyper-aggressive strategy that you could take in Triple M and Cat. It happened to work spectacularly well for Christian Calcano at Pro Tour M and Cat. And it's a strategy that I might take if I've got a 3-0 a draft to win a Pro Tour, which is exactly what he did and why he did it. But I still argue that like learning to draft at the Pro Tour is probably not the best place to do it. Um, but if you wanted to recreate that and go for that, you can. And I'm going to preface before we get into these specific cards, and I've got a couple for us to talk about. There's a lot of different ways you can play Magic, and any of them are okay. What I'm talking about here is if you want to win at Limited, and that's your primary goal. I still have fun playing Limited. If I didn't, I'd be doing something else. But like, goal number one is let's draft a deck that's the best deck I can draft for my seat and maximizes my chances of winning. Goal number two is fun. And occasionally, if you catch me on the last draft of the day, it may be like, hey, let's do a meme deck and have some fun. And I'm aware when I'm doing that, that I'm shaving some points off of my win percentage. And I'm okay with it. Like, if I open a Nickel Bolas in M19, like, we have a Sim God emote. We're going to draft it. We're going to make it work. And I I know that may not be the best thing for me to do, and I don't care. But, like, however it is that you want to play Magic, go for it. And that strategy, specifically the Slitherblade one, for example, is one that will appeal to a lot of people. And if that's fun for you, do it. If you want to win, though, you're probably going to want to avoid cards like the first one we're going to talk about here, Select for Inspection. This was in Kaladesh, which has been um, a flashback on Arena recently. It's a blue mana for an instant. Return target tapped creature to its owner's hand, scry one. There are a lot of people that when you're in a draft, and we saw this one when I was drafting Aether Revolt earlier, You'd see a blue pack, you know, we're already in blue, and you'd see this card in the pack, and somebody would say, well, why don't you pick that up? Bounce spells are usually pretty good. What's wrong with this card? (sighs) Where to begin? You can't cast it on your opponent's creature that just came into play to set them back on tempo. So the whole idea of bounce to the hand is that you're trying to gain a tempo advantage. If something is tapped, that means that either they're already activated it, so you're not really gaining anything out of that or gaining tempo out of that because they've already gained an activation out of whatever it was that they were tapping. Or they've already attacked and hit you for damage, so you're, you've already taken something off of that, so you're not preventing that. But generally speaking, it means that it's your opponent's turn when you're doing it, meaning that they can just cast it again. Or you wait to the end of their turn and they've already cast something else that turn, so you're not really setting them back a turn on any of those scenarios at all. Whereas a card like Unsummon, you know, you can do it right after they cast the creature, and it's it's almost like a remand or a time walk or something like that, right? In like a loose concept kind of way. You're gaining some kind of tempo there. Um, or maybe it's stapled to a card, like, uh, what was it? Blink of an Eye, right? Where you can pay four mana and get a card out of it as well. There's just all of these different versions of the bounce spell, and this is pretty much the worst that isn't sorcery speed yeah for, for me like there's a couple different reasons that i'm usually interested in bounce spells 
And I, I want to talk about what those are. And again, it's not that this card was unplayable. I played this in Kaladesh decks. I'm sure you did too, right, Dave? At least a couple of times. Yeah, but I was never super happy with it. So everything that Dave said about gaining tempo out of a bounce spell is certainly something that you can do uh, with a bounce spell, right? In addition, you can also bounce your own creature, for example, if they target it with removal. With Select for Inspection, you can't do that unless you were attacking with it. So if they go to destroy this in your main phase, you know, blow up your dude, you, you lose that flexibility of the bounce spell. Another thing that made bounce spells very good is if it's in a, a format where people are like trying to, to pants up a creature. And by that, I mean cast a bunch of auras on something. If you've played an EM-19, you've certainly see some, seen somebody play a one-drop and then put an enchantment on it and try to kill you with it. Kaladesh was not that format. Generally speaking, bounce spells in Kaladesh were to get an advantage. Like if somebody used a combat trick, you would try to bounce their creature. And you could still do that with Select for Inspection. That's pretty much all you could do with Select for Inspection. Um, there wasn't a spells deck. So like just getting spells into the graveyard didn't do anything for you. And Scry 1 is, I mean, kind of worth something. There also weren't a lot of mana sinks in Kaladesh, so really all you were doing was looking to bend a land at that point. So all of that added up to, like, Select for Inspection was a bounce spell, but it lost so much of the flexibility of bounce spells. Like, I, I don't normally want to just bounce my opponent's creature because they played one and I have the mana to do it. I need a little bit of a reason or I'm down a card. So when you see these effects that, that are good in some places and, like, Unsummon has all of that flexibility and makes me excited. And I know we're not comparing this to Unsummon because Unsummon wasn't in this set. So at the end of the day, it just meant that this wasn't an effect that I really wanted in Blue and Kaladesh. Like, the format was also just a, a bit too fast for Bounce to even be worth it because the threats were so cheap. Like, bouncing your, your freighter, like, whatever, I'll just replay it. It's three mana. You got me. Yeah, and especially against the vehicles too, right? Because it wasn't target permanent, it was target creature, right? Uh, yeah, this was target tapped creature. Target tapped creature. So you could only get vehicles in combat. You couldn't get them, you know, on your opponent's turn if they attacked you the previous turn, for example. there was You couldn't do things like that. You couldn't get a blocker out of the way. You couldn't bounce a double block and kill one of their creatures. You couldn't use it as a pseudo-removal spell or a pseudo-combat trick. There was and just... that's huge! Like, that's a lot of what I do with an unsummon. Like, you attack with your 3-3, three -three, they put a pair of 2-2s two in front of it, you bounce one, you got them. And for me, I'm, I'm just looking for that. Like, we're playing a version of this, functionally, that's 2 mana in M19 to remove that, you know, timing situation that it has to be tapped. And the card's great! I'm I'm super happy to to play that because it's got all of that flexibility and then this one's just just missing it and stapling scry one to it doesn't fix that. So like initially looking at it you'd think this is a lot like unsummon but then when you played through with it some it, it kind of wasn't. Sometimes it's a function of the format like you said too, right? Where if I don't know, I don't know if there's a place where select for inspection would be better. Um, I'd play it in Theros. Yeah, I guess it's like, you know, enough of a pants format, right? So you have to kind of be aware of that too. Sometimes we'll go into a format and we'll think that a card like Select for Inspection might be good or might be playable. When I say playable, I mean like main deckable most of the time. You're happy putting it in your deck. And then you play two or three games and you're just like, man, this sucks. Like, I'm never going to do it again, right? Um, 
That not being yeah. able to blow out a double block is the biggest drawback of this card because that's yeah. the best thing about balance spells, right? That knocking off pants, I, again, there weren't pants in the format, but we, we couldn't have been 100% sure of that going in because nobody really knew how the vehicles were going to play out. A lot of us thought that they were similar to equipment. We were just wrong. But e- even not knowing that, you could look at this and say, this is only going to work defensively. I'm never going to be able to use this for tempo. I'm never going to use this to blow out somebody on double blocks. I'm never using this to save my own creature. This is all about bouncing an attacking creature. And that's that's it. One of the things that I do when I evaluate cards is I... Uh think of how modal they are so i love to say like it's this is a modal spell right like unsummon is a modal spell it's combat trick it's removal it's whatever um and a card like select for inspection and cards like it have such a narrow band that i take i value the flexibility of a lot of other cards over these very narrow cards yeah so again i don't think this is as bad as some of those cards we talked about for mirage earlier but it's a very narrow, medium card that I'd, I'd really just rather not put into my deck. Now, if you were a new player and you had two select for inspections, though, I mean, you could do worse. You're going to learn about bounce. You're going to learn how all that works and stuff like that. You just won't be optimal for that. Yeah. And that's the difference between totally unplayable and not optimal for your deck or not optimal for the format. Yeah. Okay. Agree. Let's move on to open into wonder which is a a big one. We just had the Triple M and Ket drafts. I did very well in those. Had a lot of fun with those. A lot more fun than I expected, honestly, because I remembered that format being a bit one-dimensional because it was so fast. Uh, But turns out if you're only playing it for a week, that's not a problem. Uh, Open into Wonder is X blue blue for sorcery. X target creatures can't be blocked this turn. Until end of turn, those creatures gain. Whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. I mentioned in chat that this card was virtually unplayable. And then I had somebody say, I built my deck around it and it was the best card in my deck and it won me multiple games. And that's when I, another reason I was like, we really have to talk about this because it can certainly do that. uh, But so can falter like a long, long time ago, MTGO goldfish would data mine, um, winning cards and winning decks from magic online and you would see cards like falter which was one in red creatures without flying can't block this turn you would see that as like a card that had a hundred percent win rate and if you're just you know looking at that you're like well i should take every falter i see and just play a deck full of falters and i always win and the problem was you only people only cast falter when it was going to win them the game what the data wasn't showing was how many times people died with that in their hand. And Open into Wonder was a really complicated falter. It's mostly what it did. If you got to a board stall, like it could certainly win that for you. But this wasn't a particularly board stally format. It was one in which a lot of creatures couldn't block because nearly everything was evasive. So like when you first look at the card, you're like, okay, we're going to get into a board stall. And either I'm going to kill my opponent because I'm dealing so much damage, or I'll hit them for a bunch and draw some cards. And I've seen people cast this as like an expensive bad divination, but most of the time they did it, they were leaving themselves open to take a huge amount of damage on the crackback and just leaving themselves very, very vulnerable. So it's not that you can't take this card and play this card and even find situations where it will be good. It's just like... Think about the situations where it's good, 
versus the, the replacement value of what else you could have been playing. So for here, it, and let's really dig in on this. I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the idea of quadrant theory, which I learned about from Brian Wong and Limited Resources. He said he wants to know how good a card is if you cast it when you're ahead, when you're behind, when you're at parity, and when you cast it on curve, right? So he called those developing parity ahead and behind. So if I curve out into an open to wonder, Dave, what does that do? It draws you a card. Yeah, I've basically cycled it if I cast this on turn three on my two drop, right? And I'm doing that in a format where every other card in the format has cycling on it. I don't need to spend three mana for that. If I'm ahead and I cast it, what happens? You win the game or you draw a bunch of cards. Yeah, and I was going to win the game anyway if I was ahead, I imagine. Um, if I'm behind, what does this do? Stone, nothing. If I'm at parity, what does this do? This is the interesting part, because it depends on what kind of parity you're at, but I think parity is probably where it's best if you're not stone winning the game with it. Yeah. Because I... because you could potentially break a board stall open by drawing some cards, but there's a delicate balance between dealing damage and being able to survive on the crackback, right? Like, let's say you and I have equal boards. You have a bunch of three threes and I have a bunch of three threes and at any time we can just run our three threes into each other and wipe wipe both boards but if I swing with half my team and you swing back at me you might deal me nine damage and have a bunch of creatures left over if I only swing at you with one or two creatures I take less damage on the crack back but I'm also only drawing two cards for my mana now right and if I draw a bunch of cards I might leave myself open to just be dead, but also I don't have enough mana to, to, to play those cards this turn. So the upside of Divination is I can sp usually double spell in that turn, but it, with Open into Wonder, the odds of that go way down. That extra mana is actually a huge deal. So I, I think that's where it's most interesting, but it's a delicate balance between you know drawing, it, drawing enough cards, but also having enough mana to be able to affect the board after you've drawn those cards. Yeah, and you wrap all this up in a package, and, and like Dave's saying here, it's not that the card's actually unplayable. I have played this. I have lost to it. I have won with it. But it's like when I see one fourth pick, I'm not like, ooh, blue's open. Let's get an open into wonder. I, you know, and I think people see that and see the uncommon symbol and start to think that it's interesting. The, the last thing I found that I needed in blue decks in Triple M and Ket was card draw. Because nearly every creature I had was a two-for-one, right? Like, it's a two-drop and a four-drop. It's a two-drop and a three-drop. It's a three-drop and a seven-drop because of that embalm mechanic, being able to cast creatures from your graveyard. So it's like, if if half the creatures that I'm playing, I'm going to be able to cast again anyway, I don't need to, to draw more cards. I just need to play the ones that I already have. So it, it put open into wonder in, in this position where the card's not stone unplayable and just garbage, but most of the time where my opponent cast it, like I saw people cast it and have it just not do enough. It could have been a, a three mana two, two. And I think it would have had more impact on most of the games. Um, so th like, that's what I'm trying to communicate here is like, this card isn't terrible. It's just that I, I want to try to prevent people from picking these fringe cards and trying to build a deck around it. I wonder if you put open into wonder into a format like Dominaria, if it gets better because there's no graveyard synergy, like you can't, you're not casting things from the yard, you don't have cycling, there's a little bit of card draw in the format, but also there's like these, you know, 
bomb creatures with open into wonder like yargle for example or if maybe you have quende and something with double strike that you can sneak through a couple of things that have jousting lances on them or something like that right i wonder if open into wonder was just in the wrong format and then it becomes a better falter or a a, a more effective falter effect in some decks in dominary or other formats too i don't think m19 is one of those formats but i'm wondering if it's just a, a decent card in the wrong time it it could have been but i mean there was seismic assault for four mana blow up a land two things can't block i i lost to that i and i i don't think i ever actually played that one but i could see myself playing it in some red decks but yeah. I, I would play that about as much as i'd play open into wonder i think if it was in dominaria because it, it's still got that problem of like if if we're at parity much like Dave said, I can't swing in with my whole team and draw a bunch of cards because I leave myself dead on the crackback. So it, it, you kind of have to be ahead for it to really look good. And at that point, it's not going to help get you ahead. Um, and it, it doesn't really slam the door shut either, right? Like just because you draw a bu- you know five cards, it doesn't mean they're going to be great ones. And like, how are you hitting your opponent for that much damage? You and know, not with, killing them. And not killing them. So like... I, I, I just yeah. I think this card is like working against itself. Yeah, it does it does the wrong things the right way or the right things the wrong way, I guess. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. But and, and again, all of these cards are technically playable, but you may hear me say this is not playable when you're watching the stream. I I, I want to hit one from each of the, the the recent sets that we've seen and even talk about places where they could be good. Uh, one that I definitely want to mention here is Costly Plunder from Ixalan. Mm-hmm. This is one in a black for an instant. As an additional cost to cast Costly Plunder, sacrifice an artifact or creature, draw two cards. I actually liked having one of these in my sideboard. Yeah, it was really good against opponents that had lots of removal or any kind of enchantment-based removal. And also sometimes main deckable if you had a lot of treasures that you weren't spending on things i think were the only times it was playable but i liked bringing it out of the board um but that being said you know if you end up with this in your main deck accidentally or you're a new player let's say for example and you you don't understand the cost of running a costly plunder um it's fine in those scenarios right and sometimes it'll be actively good sometimes it'll you know you'll just back into a scenario where it's good it's just that there's better ways to get your cards a lot of the time. Yeah, and like that's I saw this as I was playing like in the the rivals flashbacks. It, it's been a while ago on Arena, but I, I played in some, and I'd see people you know play out decent creatures, and that was basically a format where everything was a two two or a three three. Like all of the creatures were basically the same. And then kind of late in the game, they just sacrifice one and draw some cards. And it's not that that's terrible. It's just that you're giving away an onboard resource to do it. So like the way to get some value out of a card like this is similar to bounce spells. You would block with a creature and then when they use a combat trick, sacrifice your guy. Maybe they go to kill one of your creatures and you sacrifice it in response. Um, Maybe you're, you know, you're, you're just trying to get to a specific card. So I, I can all think of reasons for why you might put this card in a deck, but none of them make it a card that I'm excited to play. It, it suffers from like 24th card itis and that I, I could play it, but I'm probably like, unless the draft just went horribly wrong, this is probably one of the first cards I'm cutting out of that list. Mm-hmm. It, it's the black opt is where you're going with that one. 
Yeah, like I, I just never really wanted it in there. And I, I, I mentioned I liked it from the sideboard, and that was because there was a lot of enchantment-based removal. Both blue and white were using spells that would lock down your creature but not remove it from the board. So if my opponent showed me a Luminous Bonds and a Water Knot in the first match, I'm absolutely bringing in a Costly Plunder because it lets me capitalize on that resource that they've already removed. That's another thing you could do with bounce spells that you couldn't do with Select for Inspection, by the way, is get your own creature out from Illuminous Bonds. But I guess that's neither yeah. here nor there. I think this this card demonstrates a, a key concept is that if you have to stretch to find scenarios where a card is good, you know, a lot of the time it's not good. And vice versa, right? Like, if you don't have to stretch to find scenarios where the card is good you know, then obviously less of the time it's going to be bad. So you want the cards that are better more often, which is why, again, modal spells are just so good because they're so flexible. They're they're good in more scenarios. And these narrow cards are cards that you can spend slots in your deck on, but just be aware that you are, it's at a cost, right? It's almost like splashing, for example. It's, it's you, you run the risk of drawing the card at the wrong time. Like costly plunder is terrible, if you've traded off all your resources on board or you have, you know, big three threes and four fours that you don't want to sacrifice because most of the cards in your deck are worse than that. You kind of just have to evaluate those. And if it's easy to find the, the not so good scenarios, then you might have a basically a loser on your hands when it comes to cards. Yeah, another thing to think about as I'm going through this list and I found this to be in common in a lot of these cards is none of these are creatures. Yep. Like it, it's not super cool or exciting to to say this but the the truth of limited is that games are won by attacks and blocks like sure you can argue that storming cube is a thing and that there's a blue red spells deck in some format and you're not wrong i don't think cube is is actually 100 percent pure limited it's more like shuffling up a bunch of constructed decks and then drafting with them and it's fun it's just it's not not the same thing and then like those weird outlier decks where you're trying to do something very specific, like get a critical mass of spells, can certainly be fun to draft around. Um, but I, I think the the boring pick of I'm going to take a three mana two three doesn't seem exciting as I'm going to take this spell that can do this what looks like a powerful effect. But my deck of three mana two threes will probably run you over if you're playing a bunch of these cards that we're talking about. Well, you have a card on the list that demonstrates this quite nicely. So you have Sovereign's Bite on this list. Do you want to read out that card? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Sovereign's Bite. Um, this is one in a black for a sorcery. Target player loses three life and you gain three life. Yeah, this is along the same lines as Lava Axe, two in a red for five damage at sorcery speed. So, and the reason this, you can compare these to creatures is that, you know, Sovereign's Bite, Lava Axe are things that you can reach out and hit your opponent in the face to try to finish a game off, right? Mm-hmm. But but if they take the spot of a of a of a, a creature, let's say that creature is repeatable damage quite frequently. If it's a, if it's a, a four mana three two flyer or a two two flyer for three or something like that, you know you might do you might have less of an impact when you immediately cast it, but over time that value accumulates and accrues, and eventually you've done more than a card worth of value than let's say Sovereign's Bite. So. Sovereign's Bite is really only good if you have some way to make use of the life gain, or you're frequently getting your opponent down to a scenario where they're at three life or six life, and you have a couple of these kicking around in your deck, and all of a sudden you can win the game 
with this as a top deck. Um, compare that to a card, let's say, like uh, Banefire, which is uh, X red to any target, a deal X to any target. That has that modal spell of going to a creature or to the face, so you can use it as a game finisher, or you can just remove a pesky creature, um, and that's much more effective than just something that just straight burns the face. So, you know, you put all that together, and it's like, well, would you rather Sovereign's Bite or a 2-2? And, you know, because that 2-2 can attack and block and get multiple, you know, different values out of it, you can trade it for another creature, you can deal six points of damage with it, you can save yourself six points of damage. There's all sorts of things you can do with that, and I think that's a really good example of where, you know, creatures don't often end up on this list because a lot of creatures these days are fairly costed and valuable for where they are they're at in their in their curve essentially. You know, even if you get a bum creature, it can still attack and block, right? Like mm-hmm. there's there's times where I've played creatures I wasn't super happy about. Like I'd love for my deck to be full of rare and uncommon creatures that have cool abilities. But you know, a four five wolf for five mana will get your opponent dead pretty quickly. And sometimes that's just good enough. What deck would you play Sovereign's Bite in? And I've seen decks that have multiples, and they seem, you know, they seem to be good, but obviously they're very rare. You know, I I actually think there's another card that I, I didn't mention so far, but I, I think illustrates this this point for me very well. Uh, it's Drakehaven. Do you remember Drakehaven from Triple M and Cat? I tried to make that card work once, and it just didn't come together. I I've done it, uh, but it, it's for for the listeners that are not familiar with it. It's two and a blue for an enchantment. Whenever you cycle or discard a card, you may pay two. If you do, you get a 2-2 Drake token. The card, if you could land it on turn three and then start cycling through your deck, it was virtually unbeatable. And in all of the scenarios I, I played Arena, when I had an opponent landed on turn three, I lost. Like, I, you just couldn't keep up with the card. There were a lot of blue decks that I played against that started cycling garbage cards early and I ran them over. One of them did land a Drake Haven very late and it was too late for it to actually do anything. Some of the others didn't, but I got a feeling there was a Drake Haven in there. So for me, the the card again is exceptionally powerful. If you can land it on turn three, the reason why I don't like it is it's going to force you to play some of those garbage cycling cards. Not, not just the good ones. Like, I'm going to put the good cycling cards in my deck anyway. I love cycling. It's a great mechanic. But there was like a compelling argument which milled your opponent and had cycling. Like that's that's not really a cycling card because all you can do with it is cycle it. You're not going to try to mill your opponent out with that. So to answer your question, like how many would I play? I wouldn't. Like I opened Drakehaven plenty of times and I passed it every single time because I know what that card does it makes me draft a deck that looks like I'm a mad genius if that's in my opener, and I'm just going to lose the game and complain about how I didn't draw my Drakehaven if if I take it. So for Sovereign's Vite, I'm not going to play it. If I'm looking mm-hmm. for a way to gain life in a black-white life gain deck, I can find a better way to do that. If, you can find it elsewhere. Yeah, if, if I'm thinking I need Sovereign's Bite to trigger the life gain, my draft went horribly wrong. Because that that means I'm trying to enable a rare that I opened and I'm not getting the support for. Because this life gain theme is all over the place at M19. Like, I found it difficult to draft black or white and not have some life gain in there accidentally. 
Like you're, you're just going to end up with a dwarf priest or something if, if your color pairs open. So I, and, and I've heard people about the cool, cool story, bro. I got nine sovereign spites at F and M. I'm like, that's cool. And you can totally do that. And like, if that's your thing, go for it. But I'm never going to do that. Cause for me, like I'm losing all that flexibility of, of the actual cards that can attack and block over multiple turns just to get this damage to the face. And I'm I'm just not into that. Yeah. I think it takes like four Ajani's Pride Mates and like two of the guys that make bats. And even then I'm probably still running. You can't you know, end up with that and need this. Like exactly. that just can't happen. If you get four Ajani's Pride Mates, that means at least somebody passed you one, right? And you opened the others. Where did you get the and other? Like you, just, you, that deck just can't actually happen. Exactly. So, and that's and that's the stretch, right? Where if I'm trying to come up with a scenario that magical Christmas landy, this card is just not not good enough. But that being said, right, not unplayable because you can stick it in your deck as a twenty third. If you only had twenty two playables, it's probably better than an eighteenth land in some scenarios. Just that is the definition of unplayable. I. I have won a lot of games of Magic by Lightning Strike my opponent's face for three. That is not why I put Lightning Strike in my deck, but it's really cool that I can do that. And, and that's, that's why Light- yeah, that's why Lightning Strike's a first pick, and this doesn't go in your deck. Is Lightning Strike says target creature or player, right? I think it actually says any target these days. These days. Yeah, so I, I can kill my opponent if they happen to be at three. Like, what card do you want to draw more than Sovereign's Bite if your opponent's at three? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, it's great. Exactly. So Lightning Strike is Sovereign's Bite if your opponent's at three, and it's a removal spell if they're killing you with a 2-3 flyer. Uh, let's hit one more on my list, because um, I, I wanted to get one from all of the sets that have been drafted recently on Arena, and it's Divest. Uh, this is black mana for a sorcery. Target player reveals their hand. You choose an artifact or creature card from it. That player discards that card. And this, a lot of what we're going to say about divest can generally be applied to any one mana discard in limited. So why is this not great? Well, first and foremost, it has the chance to just whiff. So you've essentially discarded a card to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, it doesn't deal with the cards that you would want a removal spell to deal with all of the time, unless it's exactly in your opponent's hand and they don't have the mana to cast it yet. There's a very narrow window, I think, in which cards like Divest are reasonable, and that is when your opponent has a almost a full grip of cards, and they've probably drawn one or two over the course of the, the first couple of turns. So, you know... You don't necessarily want to cast it on turn one. Sometimes you do because you have a two drop, let's say. But you want to let them accumulate a couple of cards, maybe, and try to nab it on turn two or turn three or something like that after they've had an opportunity to go through a little bit more of their deck. Um, That's really the only time that it stands out. Every other time it feels miserable. Yeah. And that's the problem. The the challenge for me, I ended up playing Divest in a black-white Dominaria deck on stream um, I whiffle waffled on colors, opened an Ariel, whatever the, the black white rare is that's very good. It was like, okay, we're black white. Um, so I basically went into black white in pack two on the open and couldn't quite get there on playables, which meant I had to run one artifact creature I didn't like in a divest. 
couple times I had to vest on turn one, and it was actually pretty dang good. But it, at issue, and I, I think this will summarize why I don't like targeted discard very much, I'm spending mana and a card to get rid of one of their cards, and they don't have to spend any mana on that exchange. Mm-hmm. There were also times where I top-decked Divest later in the game where my opponent had already played everything out and they're holding two cards. And I play the Divest and I see a land and a removal spell. That That's actively bad for me. Like, I've just discarded a card. I've got some information and I can play around with that. But, like, nobody would be saying you should be playing a card that was just, like... Actually, I think that was a card where you could peek. But it said draw a card on it. That wasn't bad. Like, just look at your opponent's hand. I don't think anybody would be playing that card. If Urza's sunglasses were still around, we wouldn't be putting them in decks, right? So, like, Divest only answers the thing if they have it and they haven't cast it. They have to have drawn it, decided not to play it yet, and then it's so bad when you top deck it. I think a lot of people see cards like Thoughtseize being very good in Modern, and I've actually played some Modern, and I played a Thoughtseize deck. I loved Jund, so I was playing Thoughtseize and Inquisition, and would often mulligan looking for those specific cards in a particular matchup. Because I'm like, against Storm, I need this to nab the, the payoff cards. They can Storm off all they want as long as they can't Grape Shop me. So you, you get those ideas that these cards are good and constructed, and, you know, Divest may not be, but like one mana discard often is quite playable and constructed, in certain decks, and it's just not actually that good in limited, even when it was actual Thoughtseize. Uh, like when we were going back and drafting Theros, I didn't actually want that in my deck. Like, and that that's like some of the best one mana discard you can get, and it still wasn't particularly good in limited just because it was such a bad top tag. Yeah, exactly. The reason it's so good in constructed is obviously you can break up combos and synergies and things like that, but also you have four of them. Yeah, And the odds that you have them on turn one and can take your opponent off those cards is very, very high in that case. Um, the ones that discard creatures are better and limited than something like a Duress, I think for sure. So Divest goes up a little bit there in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Duress in M19 is usually much worse than Divest was in uh, Dominaria, right? Yeah, agree. And there was another one, like it was Harsh Scrutiny, I think was the name of the card. I can't actually remember what set that was in. I, I'm pretty sure it was Kaladesh block. It may have been actual Kaladesh. It's basically, yeah, here it is. Black mana target opponent reveals his or her hand. You choose a creature card from it. That player discards that card. Scry one. I played that too. I was never happy about it. So it, it's not like the stuff is unplayable and just complete garbage. It's just like most decks would rather have a three mana two three. Something that deals damage, something that attacks and blocks, and something that just has multiple uses instead of just one. And sometimes it does that one real bad. Did I tell you the story about my opponent double casting a duress on me in Limited? I don't think I've heard this one. Yeah, so my opponent casts double cast, so copy the next spell that you play. And then they cast, I think it's duress, right, in M19? Yeah. And I showed them a a hand of five cards that were all cards that they could not take with (laughs) duress. So they just spent three mana discard. They mind rotted themselves. They mind rotted themselves. Um, and then I got to play with my, my spells the next turn. So it was kind of great. Yeah. But yeah, just the, the whiffing with a card like that feels so bad. Right. And we talked about this last episode where people just hold hand lands in their hand. You think to yourself, great, I'm going to get them. And then they show you three lands and like, ha I got you. And it's like, man, this card sucks. It could have been anything. It could have been opt 
Yeah, even Opt would have been better in that scenario. And it's like, you know, we may as well mention Opt too because I talk a lot of trash about Opt. Like, why is Opt not a great card? I like it, so don't even ask me that question. <laughs> okay. For, so for... the the reason I like Opt is in it, it's only in decks where um, I'm playing Heavy Blue, obviously, right? There's There's a couple of things. So it's not necessarily where you're at in the game but where you're at in the draft is you want to be able to cast it early and you want to be able to dig to things that are high value so if you have you know a lot of cards in your deck that are very good opt may essentially lets you play a 39 card deck in that regard um it's the same as having having you know one mana cyclers let's say in um in amon ketlock in, in limited with the exception that you can't just cast a five, five for six late in the game. If you top deck and opt, right? You're at the mercy of what is on top of your deck or underneath that card on top of your deck. Um, but in, 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 in formats where, you know, your bombs are good opt goes up in value in formats where your bombs aren't that great. Um, I, then opt goes down in value. So I think in, in Dominaria there were, a handful of very good limited players that were very high on opt. I was not a very good limited player, but I was still high on opt. Um, but then there's formats where I think it was Rick's Rivals of Ixalan era where it wasn't as good because the things you were digging to weren't weren't necessarily as as good as they were in Dominaria. Let's say I still think what hurt the Mulligan rule, um, like adding Scry, was certainly not bad to to Mulligans. I'm glad that that's there because even I have to Mulligan sometimes. But my argument that it didn't affect it that much because you're really only looking for land or spell, that that opt suffers from that too. So unless you're going to play an opt and shave it down to 16 lands, if you're going to go for something like that, I can kind of art, like understand that. But it's like you, if your deck has two bombs in it and you opt on turn one and you know you've got a handful of mostly land... And you see a reasonable three drop. Are you going to put that on the bottom so that you can try to draw to your bomb? I mean, it depends, right? Sure. It, it, it does. And and so an opt is a little more modal than the cards that we've talked about, right? So opt can be a way to dig to a land. So you keep a, a seven card opener with one, an opt, an island, and no other lands. And you're like, great, I can opt on turn one and try to hit my second land drop and I get two looks at it instead of one because I get to scry right there's opt early when you have your three first three land drops and now you can bin another land let's say um you know late game you can dig to action mid game you can decide if you keep that that creature or dig for that removal spell so it, it really depends it's just it takes a very specific deck right yeah yeah, and yeah. I, I think that's fair, and I think that's why it fits in this conversation. Like, mm -hmm. there, there's a joke on the stream, like, I've played Opt enough that people know whenever that happens, they're like, don't tell Dave he's playing Opt, right? I, I don't like the card because, again, it what it does share in common with a lot of these things is it can't attack, it can't block, I'm never going to kill my opponent with it. And I'd like to put as many cards that do that in my deck as possible. But all of the things Dave is saying about Opt are true. The main place that I wanted it was in a deck that was heavy blue and really didn't want 17 lands. Because I, I felt like I could kind of cheat and put Opt in there as if it were a land. 
it got a little bit better with some prowess triggers. So sometimes you'd see it in a deck with Adele uh, in Dominaria. So like there were certainly times that I did play it, but it was never something that I took very highly. And like if there's anything to take away from this episode, I really think the big issue would be not that these cards are unplayable, that anything that is very narrow is not something you should be taking very early. Even if it's a rare or it's an uncommon or it looks cool or it looks flashy, like try to think how how modal is this? Let's use Dave logic. Like how many different things can I do with this card? And if it only does one thing, make sure it's something that you want. If it kills an opponent's creature, hey, that's that's a great narrow card. We call that removal. Like it's got its own category. I'll take as many of those as I can get. But if, if it does something that's that's narrow, that's not killing your opponent or their creature, like let's think about how good this actually is and maybe not take it so highly. Bake go. I'm gonna bake your noodle on this one though. Bake away. And we're gonna we're gonna end the podcast on this one. Is the forty one card opt deck. That's not a real deck, Dave. What are you doing? There, that'll that'll bake your noodle right there. I, I listened to your episode with Emma, and it was very good, and I remain unconvinced. I do not think there are any circumstances that... Again, if your goal is to win, I don't think there's any circumstances you should play a 41-card limited deck. That said, I have played more than 40 cards plenty of times. As a goof against a mill deck, I sided up to 60 cards once, and it worked, and I won because their millstone just couldn't mill me out. And I laughed and chat had a great time. And I've accidentally submitted 41 card decks far more often than I'd like to admit. But I, I'm not going to intentionally build a 41 card deck and put opt in it and, and use that as justification. Here, here's what's going to happen. Is you're going to walk away and you're going you're gonna to go to sleep tonight and you're going to be lying wide awake trying to figure out why I would say 41 cards plus opt. No, I already gonna, know. And, it's because you're bad at magic. No, you're going to sit there and you think about it and you're going to be like, that makes a little bit of sense. And then slowly that amount of sense is going to grow over time and that little meter is going to go all the way up to 100 and you'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, there might be a point there. And then I'm going to come into your stream tomorrow and tell you I was just kidding. So, Yeah, I'm going to opt out. All right. That's going to end the episode this week then. Thank you for that uh, nice little walkthrough of, I mean recent draft history as well it's nice to think about all those formats which is one of the upsides of arena is that we get to draft all these cool formats from you know a couple of years past so it's nice to have all these flashbacks but we're gonna call it there so thanks to face to face games for the host and the support uh if you want to catch us on twitter we are at men from moto and you can also uh, check out our patreon as well that's patreon.com slash men from moto travis where can they catch you streaming this week you can find me at twitch.tv slash simulan. And I'm at twitch.tv slash dcivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Adios.